this morning, a beautiful Sunday morning here in Chippenham, Wiltshire, and uh, great to share God's Word with you, great to share worship with you, and uh, we're going to be looking at a new series this morning, starting with uh, this morning on, on a series of revival, looking at this whole subject of revival. Um, it, it is something on the heart of God. It is something that God wants to do in our lives. He wants to revive us. Psalm 85 verse 6, the psalmist said, uh, Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? So God is in the business of revival. I hope you are too. Amen. God wants to revive you. He wants to quicken you. He wants to renew you. He wants to refresh you. He wants to change your life for the better. And when we come near into the presence of God, everything begins to change. Amen. When we get close to Jesus, everything begins to change. When we uh, see that Jesus is, is near people, we see that things begin to happen. Lepers are healed. People are raised from the dead. When we get close to Jesus, eyes pop open, ears pop open, miracles happen. Because wherever Jesus is, incredible things happen. Amen. Wherever Jesus is, miracles happen. And where he is not, things are not happening. And so we need Jesus Christ. We need the Lord Jesus in our lives to do the miracles of God. And pray that you will be open for some new things that God wants to do in your life, and in our lives, in our communities. God wants to bring revival to you. Do you believe that today? God wants to bring revival to you. He wants to renew your strength and revive you and quicken you and bring some new things into your life. And so we're going to be looking at that whole topic this morning. So what is revival? And especially in relation to the church, what does it mean to for God to bring revival? Well, there's a few things I want us to highlight this morning. It is a spiritual reawakening from a state of slumber or dormancy or stagnation uh, in the life of the believer. It's, um, it's almost a bit like hibernation for an animal that goes into hibernation, go, like a bear that goes and hibernates through the winter period. It's still alive, but there's not a lot happening. You know, it's a little bit like the church. The church is, is alive, but in places there's not a lot happening. And uh, it's, it's like it's fallen asleep. The, the church has just, you know, become drowsy and become stagnant and, and become sleepy. And the Bible has a lot to say about that, you know, about waking up from our slumber and coming alive to Jesus Christ and, and letting Him refresh us, renew us and quicken us. It really is a new love for God. Um, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, when Jesus is talking to the, the churches in, in, in the book of Revelation where, where, where he, he, he confronts the various seven churches and He says something to each of them. And the, in, the, in the Ephesian church in chapter 2, he, he rebukes them because they have lost their first love. They used to love God. They used to be passionate for Jesus, but they lost it. They used to be on fire for God, but it's like, you know, they got dampened down. They got tired. They got weary. They got discouraged. They became sleepy. And they lost their first passion and the first love for God. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've lost your first passion and your first love for God. And there's room for, for your heart to be rekindled this morning. And that's what we hope to be covering in this series. Is that God would give us a fresh new love for Him. And a fresh passion. A new passion for His Word. A love for God's people. And a love to win others to Christ as well. And so only this work can happen when the Holy Spirit comes in to revive us. Will you not revive us again, O oh God? I don't know if you feel like you need revival today, but I do. I want God to revive my heart. 
I want him to stir up a new song in me. I want him to stir a new passion, a new love for God, a new love for the lost, a new love for his word, a new love for the things of God. That the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I pray that that is your prayer this morning, that God would revive you and that God would do a new work in you. So what is revival? It's a new appreciation for God's holiness. It also brings a conviction of personal and corporate awareness of sin. We suddenly become aware that there are things in our lives that may not be pleasing to the Lord. And so we want to remove these things. We feel convicted in areas of our lives that, that you know, God wants to remove things. Like a, like a surgeon who, who begins to work on, on a cancer patient and begins to cut out the disease. Or, or begins to work on a, on a heart patient and begins to clear out the arteries and cleanse their body from impurities and things that have come into their life. So the Holy Spirit comes to bring conviction and, and the, an awareness of sin to deal with these things that are not pleasing to the Lord so that He can remove these things out of our lives. It's also, um, it's also a deeper repentance. You know, Jesus came with a message. You know, He came preaching a message. And you know what that message was? Very, very simple message. And that was repent or perish. Pretty straight message. He came preaching a message of repentance. You must repent or you're going to perish. Repent of your sins simply means turn away from your sins. Ask God to forgive you. If you don't, you will perish. You see, repentance is God's way into abundant life. Repentance is a good word. It's not a swear word. Amen? It's a good word because it leads us back to God. You know, it's simply, if we are heading in the wrong direction, if we're going down a path of darkness, if we're going down a, a selfish path, a, and a wayward path, you know, God wants us to turn around, start facing the light, Start facing Him, start following Him, repent of our darkness, repent of our sin, repent of our selfishness, and start facing Him. We all need to do that at some point in our lives, and that, that message of Jesus is still relevant today, is that He wants us to repent. He wants us to turn away from all the selfish, sinful things, and start facing Him, and experience renewal in His presence. The Bible says He lives in, in light. He lives in, in a glorious place. So we need to turn away from our darkness into his light. And in the light, everything gets exposed. Jesus begins to expose our darkness and the blots and areas of our lives that need to be cleansed. And so we need to ask the Lord to purify us. And so uh, revival is a new uh, repentance, a deeper repentance. There's a new growth in righteousness. It invigorates and deepens our spiritual lives. Yes, you have a spiritual life. Amen. God wants to deepen that. He wants to strengthen that. The, the Bible tells us that, that we, we are spiritual. That we live in a body. We have a soul, a mind, a will, an emotion. And, and that's why spiritual things may, may interest us. And God is, as the Bible says, is that when we come to Christ, our spirit, which once was dead has now come alive. And so spiritual things should interest us and there's a new invigoration in our spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in, He invigorates us. He renews us. He recharges us. You know, when, you're, when you're, 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 your mobile phone is, is low on battery, what do you do? You recharge it. God wants to recharge us today with the Holy Spirit, with His presence and with His Word. And so praise God, he can revive us. You know, I remember years ago that uh, somebody went to visit uh, their, their mother's house and they were left with the responsibility because they'd gone on holiday and the, the plant had just, the plants had begun to die. They hadn't had enough water and they just needed to water the plants. And when they came later that day, they realized the plants had soaked up all the water and rather than just drooping over and falling over, they had revived. 
That's exactly what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to revive us, He wants to quicken us, and He wants to renew us. You know, there are many revivals that we've had in this nation, in Great Britain. In fact, there are many hundreds of revivals that have appeared all over the world. What is revival again? It's a new start. It's like God has given you a clean slate. God has given you a fresh start. A new beginning. You may be a Christian for, for many years. You may not even be a Christian at all. But in the Bible says it's time to seek the Lord. It's time for us to repent of our sins, start facing the Lord, start following God, turn away from our selfish ways and experience a freshness and a renewal. Revival breaks the charm and the power of the world and which blinds the eyes of men. It gives us a fresh new start, a new life of obedience. Maybe we're just in a place of lukewarmness. We're just coasting along and, you know, I'm a Christian and everything's fine, everything's nice and easy, everything's tepid, everything's lukewarm. We're not hot, we're not cold. We're not on fire for God, we're not totally away from God. We're just coasting along. And the Bible has a lot to say about this and this is mentioned here in Revelation chapter 3 and Jesus is talking to the Laodicean church and this is what he says I think it's chapter uh, 3 and verse 14 onwards and he says to the to the church these are the words that he speaks to the church I'm just going to look up the reference now it's Revelation and chapter 3 and from verse 14 so he's speaking to the church the church in Laodicea, and uh, Jesus is speaking to them. These are the words, verse 14, to the angel of the church in, the, in Laodicea. Um, it says, right, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now remember, Jesus is talking to the church. He's not talking to, to the world. He's not talking to sinful people. He's talking to the righteous people. He is rebuking the Laodicean church. He's saying to them, you know, that you, you, he's saying to them, um, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out. I'm about to get rid of you because you're neither hot nor cold. You're just coasting along. You're just, luke, you're just a lukewarm Christian. You're just a lukewarm church. And this is the, the indictment here. Is, but the church is saying, we are rich. We have acquired wealth. We don't, do not need a thing. So they're saying, we, we, we're fine, Jesus. We're okay. We're doing great. No, you're not. Jesus is rebuking the church. He says, you do not realize because you've become blinded by your lukewarmness, you have become cold and apathetic. You've become lukewarm. You're just coasting along. And he says, he says here, but you do not realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Imagine Jesus saying that to your church or to my church this morning. That he would come and say, you don't even realize how how bad a state you're actually in, but you are actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus is giving them a warning, and to each of the churches, Jesus is giving a warning. Jesus especially is rebuking the Laodicean church for being an apathetic church. That they don't really care about the lost. They don't really care about spiritual things. They're okay, they've got their ticket for heaven. Jesus, we're fine, just leave us alone. It's like Jesus is saying, wake up church, wake up because I am gonna hold you accountable for your community, for your family, for your generation. Peter and John and all the apostles are gone, but you and I are left and I'm gonna hold you accountable 
for your spiritual life and for the spiritual state of your nation, I'm going to hold you partly responsible. And so we have got to wake up, friends. We've got to be revived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that comes about through repentance. Notice later on Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Jesus is telling the church to repent in each of the times that he appears to the church in Sardis or Philadelphia or, or uh, Ephesus, uh, to the various churches, he said, repent. Stop doing the things you're doing and get back into my presence. Get back into a place where I can use you, where I can anoint you, I can refresh you, and you can do away with trivial things. You can do away with apathetic things. You do away with things that are not pleasing to me so that he is, he is counseling them to buy gold refined in the fire so that they could become rich. They could have white clothes uh, to wear and cover their shameful nakedness. And Jesus is saying, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. It's an invitation, friends. Jesus is saying, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Will you let me in and have fellowship with you? Will you come and have fellowship with the Lord Jesus? He says, I will eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. What is God saying to your church? What is God saying to my church? What is God saying to me as an individual? Let us have ears that hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Jesus appeared to the church in Laodicea and he rebuked them and he said, you think you're doing fine, but you're not. Sometimes maybe Jesus would come to us and rebuke us and say, you think you're okay, but you're not in the place where you should be. As the Bible says, you know, that we should not fall short of the glory of God. That we would be all that God wants us to be. And we looked at that last week, that God would renew us. That we would become the people of God that he would want us to be. And so it's a new life of obedience. Jesus told the church in Laodicea to repent. And he disciplined them so that they could get back into the place where God wanted them to be. And so revival is something that God wants to bring into our lives. And we've had many revivals in this nation. In, in the 1700s, we had men of God like John Wesley, who brought a great revival to our nation. And his father was a clergyman. He was number 15 of 19 children. Wow, can you imagine that household? That must have been crazy. And yet his mother, Susanna Wesley, she would pray for an hour a day and God help the children if they disturbed her. She says, it's my time with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Nearly 20 kids. She always find an hour for Jesus. And friends, we have to reprioritize our lives so that we have got time for God and we have got time for the Lord. And so a great revival came to this nation. Listen to some of these things. Interesting, in 1739, he preached outside for this first time in Bristol and proclaimed the gospel outside and declared the word of God. So he traveled 250,000 miles on horseback. That's right, a quarter of a million miles on horseback just to save souls. He preached about 40,000 sermons. That's a lot of preaching. And he used to say, I set myself on fire and others will come and watch me burn. He wasn't a lukewarm Christian. He wasn't a lukewarm minister. He spent four hours with Jesus every day. He didn't think much of a Christian. He didn't spend three or four hours 
in prayer a day. And that's what he did. That was his example. And uh, amazing that uh, when Billy Graham came over here with a group of students from America, that he visited his house. And when all of the students were getting back into the bus, they suddenly realized one was missing and they went back into the house. And there they saw Billy Graham kneeling by, by uh, uh, John Wesley's bedside, saying, Lord, do it again. And wow, look what happened through his life. And may God do it again through each one of us and may he do it through you. So he traveled all those miles and they reckon that 25% of Great Britain turned to the Lord Jesus Christ through his ministry. Isn't that incredible what God can do through your life? You say, how could God use little old me? How could that be possible that God could use such one person to bring revival? George Whitfield, who was a contemporary with John Wesley, also brought revival to this country and also to America. And, and uh, the, the Bible says that uh, we can set ourselves on fire. We can get rid of the lukewarmness. George Whitfield um, was born in 1714 in Gloucester in England, a contemporary with Wesley. And he preached to crowds of up to 30,000 people. And his preaching helped spark the 1730 and the 1740s revival along with Jonathan Edwards in America. Look what God can do with the lives of these men who are fully devoted to God. George Whitfield said, I spent whole days and whole weeks on the floor crying out to God that he would have mercy on me and my ministry. And look how amazingly how God used these mighty men. So uh, there's a great awakening in America. We've had a great awakening in the United Kingdom. And so revival brings an intensely personal relationship with the Lord. And this morning uh, we're going to have a look at a man in the Bible who was greatly used of God. And if you'd like to turn, if you've got a Bible there, to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles 34. I'm going to have a look at one of the kings of Judah, and his name is Josiah. So, as we think about this whole revival, something that we need to be praying for, if God could use uh, John Wesley so mightily in Great Britain and also America, George Whitfield, and many others, of course, that I haven't mentioned, um, we've had revivals in Scotland, we've had revivals in Northern Ireland, we've had revivals in Wales. God longs to bring revival to this nation of Great Britain. And there are many promises that, that, that people have spoken and prophesied that there's going to be a great uh, revival in the world and Great Britain is going to be part of that revival. So that's something we need to keep praying for and keep believing God for. And so we need to pray for this renewal. That God will take away any lukewarmness. And give us a zeal to serve the Lord. So I'm going to read to you from uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And I'm going to read quite a few verses with you. So may God just bless the reading of his word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'll bless these words to us today. And we pray for open hearts, open minds. We pray, Lord, that you will bring renewal into our lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll spark something new in us today. That, Lord, the work that only you can do will revive us. That we too would be on fire, like John Wesley. That others would come and watch us burn. We pray, Lord, that the entrance of your word will give light and understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Chronicles 34 says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he ruled in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, 
he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And so he purged Judah and Jerusalem in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim and Simeon as far as Naphtali. And in the ruins around them he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. Wow, what a guy King Josiah was. Amazing that he started to rule at the age, tender age of eight years old. Interesting that the number eight in the Bible represents a new beginning. That's right, the numbers have significance. It's a new beginning and he's eight years old and he begins to rule at a tender age of eight. Now, for us to understand his ministry, understand his kingship and how he was so pleasing to the Lord, we need to understand a little bit about his background. Now, his father was Ammon, king of Judah, who had only ruled for about two years and he was assassinated and the Bible says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He had an evil father. And it's interesting that each time the kings are mentioned, it is mentioned in, in God's understanding of them. It's not mentioned in what we think of them. It's mentioned in the understanding of what does God think of them. And it says this about Ammon, his father. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. And it says here that um, Ammon worshipped and offered sacrifices to all the idols Manasseh had made. But unlike his father Manasseh, he did not humble himself before the Lord. So he only ruled, his father only ruled for two years, and he was only in, in his twenties, and then suddenly he is been wiped out. He's been assassinated. But even we go back further and we see Josiah's grandfather Manasseh, the father of Ammon. And we see that he is a most wicked king. We see that Manasseh is, is, is ruling in Judah. I don't know if you know the history of, of Israel and Judah, but there had become a split and all of, of Israel had gone up into the north of the country, and Judah and Benjamin had gone down into the south. And so Manasseh was the king of, of uh, Judah in the south, and it says this about him. Listen to this. Manasseh in chapter 33 was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of of the Lord following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry host. He sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. Wow, what a wicked king Manasseh was. In fact, uh, historians believe he was the most wicked king of Judah. He did detestable things, even bringing idols into the house of God. 
Even bringing false gods into the courts of the Lord. Worshipping false gods, worshipping the Baals, setting up um, and, and, and crafting Asherah poles, all the, 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 the idols that the nations that went before, uh, the Canaanites and the, all, all the other ites, and they were worshipping the false gods. And here we see Manasseh is a wicked king and he does much evil in the eyes of the Lord. So if you think about the heritage that Josiah has, he's got a wicked father, he's got a very wicked grandfather, and, and Manasseh reigned for 55 years, so he led the whole nation of Judah. He led the whole, all of the people totally astray. He even practiced witchcraft and sorcery and contacted spiritists and did many evil things, even worshiping the starry host. It was very offensive to God. And so here is little Josiah being born in a pagan nation, a nation that has drifted far away from God, that is worshiping false gods. But listen to what the Bible says. It says in 2 Chronicles 34 that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He had a choice to make. Am I going to follow my dad? Am I going to follow my grandfather? Am I going to follow these evil paths? Or am I going to do what's right? Praise God, he chose the right path. And isn't it amazing? God gives us all that choice. You want to choose bad? Or you want to choose good? You want to choose evil? Or you want to choose righteousness? You want to choose the darkness? Or you want to choose the light? God gives us that choice. He never forces us to go anyway. He never forces us to go. He says, it's your choice. You know, like Joshua said to the Israelites, he said, as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. As for you, it's up to you. It's your choice. God never made robots. He's never going to force us to make any wrong decisions. We have got to make our own decisions. So um, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father, David. So David was from the tribe of Judah. And now, as it comes down his lineage, he's got a wicked grandfather, Manasseh. He's got a wicked father, Ammon. But Josiah, at the age of eight, decides, I'm going to follow the Lord. Now, further than that, it says here, in his eighth reign, in this eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So, do the maths. He's 16 years old. He decides, I'm going to seek God. And so he seeks God for four years. He cries out to God. He says, Lord, I need your help. I want to do what's right in your eyes. I want to do the right things. And then after, after he reigns uh, and rules and seeking God for four years, it says here, in his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. So this is known as Josiah's reform, or this is known as Josiah's revival. He brings revival to the land of Judah. He brings a, a new way of living. You know, he brings a, a new thought to the people, and he begins to seek God. His, his father wasn't seeking God. His grandfather wasn't seeking God. He had, he had a poor heritage from his father and grand, grandfather, but he decides I'm going to seek the Lord. And so when he's 20 years old, he decides, I'm going to purge the land. I'm going to get rid of the idols. I'm going to get rid of the Baals. I'm going to get rid of the wickedness in the land. And it's interesting that Josiah is around during the time of Jeremiah and Zephaniah. So they are all around the same time. And uh, God also said the same thing to Jeremiah. He says, I'm calling you as a prophet to the nations to tear down, to uproot, and to destroy. And that's exactly what Josiah is beginning to do. And it says, in his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, Asherah poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them, smashed the Asherah poles and idols. Then he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests 
of the elders and he purged Judah and Jerusalem and he began to cleanse the land from the false idols, from the false gods that God had said to them, I don't want you to worship the Baals. I don't want you to worship the starry host. I don't want you to consult uh, witches or, or witchcraft or sorcery. I don't want you to do these things because people who do these things are going to become entangled in them and it's going to bring a curse upon their lives. As, as we read in Deuteronomy 28, that all the curses are mentioned for disobedience and all the blessings are mentioned for obedience. You can read that in Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the curses. And so, and his father and grandfather had, had drifted far away from the Lord, but Josiah made a decision, I'm going to cleanse the land. And, and he, he is radical about it. And he breaks down the, the things at the high place, because in the high places was where they worshipped the Baals, and where they worshipped the Asherah poles, and where they, they did great acts of wickedness before the Lord. And he smashes these things down. He cuts them down. In fact, in the book of Kings, it says that he actually uh, crushes them to dust. And, and he just obliterates all these idols. He is going to be completely thorough in his dealings. And you know, God wants us to be like this. He wants us to be completely thorough in removing idols from our own lives. You know, in the Gospel of John, we read there, or the Epistle of John, he says... Dear friends, keep yourselves from idols. Now, people may not be worshipping Baal today. They may not be worshipping Asherah poles, but they may be worshipping other things. Maybe other things have got in the way. Maybe they're worshipping materialism. Maybe they're worshipping money. Maybe they love the honour and, uh, and, and honour of men. Maybe they just love things, and, and things have got in the way. And, and the Bible says we should remove these idols from our lives. I pray that God will give us grace to remove these idols. And so we see that Josiah is radical in tearing down the idols, tearing down the things in the high places, smashing them, obliterating them, cutting them down. He is going through the nation. Not only does he go through Judah, but he then moves up into Israel. And he begins to obliterate these high places and these idols and these images, images and things that are set up to actually take the people away from the Lord. These idols are, are things that are pulling people away from, from the Lord. And of course we know that the Ten Commandments were there as, as an example. Say, do not worship these idols. Do not bow down to them. Do not bow down to these false gods. And, and God wants us to follow these commandments, not to bow down, but only to serve the Lord. As Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so we are to get rid of things in our lives. We are to get rid of the high places, maybe the high thoughts and imaginations in our lives that are pulling us away from the Lord. Get rid of the idols, whatever it is that is in your life. You know, when God called Gideon and uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and there uh, and when he was threshing in the winepress, and, and the Lord said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he went out, and the first thing he did was he cut down the Baal, and he cut down the Asherah pole, and he burnt them. And there, there's got to be a time, friends, in our lives where some things have got to come down. There's got to be a time in our lives where some things have got to be broken down and removed, a tearing down, like God said to Jeremiah, let there be a tearing down, let there be an uprooting, let there be a destroying let there be a smashing down, and then let there be a building up. So the old has got to go, the idols have got to go, the, the idolatry has got to go out of the nation, but it's also got to go out of our hearts, and God wants to purge our hearts, and Josiah was cleansing the nation. Interesting that the name Josiah means Jehovah heals. And that's exactly what God was doing. Is God was healing the land. Because every time they worshipped the Baals, every time they worshipped the false gods, they were bringing a curse on the nation. They were bringing a curse on the land. They were bringing a curse on the people so that the people were, were blinded and they were destroyed in their relationship with Yahweh. And so here is Josiah healing the land by the power of the Lord Jesus or by the power of Yahweh. 
he is cleansing the land. So he had to he had to smash down the idols. But then it says here, verse eight of of Second Chronicles thirty four, in the eighteenth year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Masiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Jehoaz. They're recorded to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So there was a tearing down first, and then there was a building up. There's always going to be a tearing down, and then there's going to be a building up. There's always going to be a removal of the old, and then a renewal of, of the temple of God. There's going to be a renewal of the work of God. So there's going to be a tearing down, and then a building up. Like God also said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, there must be a tearing down, but also a building up. And we see this in the life of Josiah. He tears down, but then he begins to build up. So he removes the false, and then he brings back the genuine. He removes the false gods, and he brings back the true God. And he reinstigates the worship of Yahweh, and he rebuilds the temple, and puts a lot of time and a lot of energy into building the temple of the Lord. It had been smashed, it had been broken down, it had been neglected. And so they began to, to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And as they're rebuilding the temple of the Lord, they find the book of the law. They find the law of God in amongst the rubble that had all just been neglected. The temple had been greatly neglected, but they find the book of the law. And, and Josiah brings the the men of God, and they read the scriptures, they read the law of God, which could well have been the book of Deuteronomy, which was known as the book of the law, and they read the words of, of the book of the law, and they realize that they've sinned greatly before the Lord. And the Bible tells us that, that Josiah repented, he was sorry for, for, for what they had done, that they, as a nation, they had turned away from God, as a nation, they had they had uh, turned away from Yahweh and they went to Huldah the prophet and, and told her about what had happened. And she gave them a word from the Lord. And the word from the Lord was, there is going to be great destruction because of what you've done in turning away from the Lord. There are always consequences for sin. There's always a price to pay for sin. And so the sins of Ammon, the sins of Manasseh and all the wickedness they had done, is God was saying, you, you're going to pay for this, but I'm not going to do it in your lifetime, Josiah. Because you've faithfully followed the Lord, because you've not turned to the right or to the left, I'm going to preserve your life. And this is exactly what we see, that after Josiah dies, there is great judgment on the nation. And they go into exile, and they get taken over by the Babylonians. Friends, there's always a price to pay for sin. People think that, you know, just carrying on with sin, just doing your own thing, and nobody's noticing. God sees everything. God is recording everything, and there's a price to pay. There's always consequences for what we do. And so we see here that Josiah brings a reformation to the nation. God is using one young man. And I say to any young people listening today, here is a teenager, just like David was when he went against Goliath. He was a teenager. And here's Josiah, he's 16 years old, and he decides to seek the Lord. He doesn't just seek the Lord for one day. He doesn't just seek the Lord for a, a small period of time. He begins to seek the Lord for year after year after year. And he keeps on seeking the Lord, and it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. He was absolutely focused on his seeking God. He was absolutely determined that he was going to cleanse the nation. It says that he purged the nation of Judah and he brought reformation and he brought restoration. And so they, they read the words of the law. They, he, he brought all the people together at the temple of the Lord and they read the words of the Lord and he publicly humbled himself and confessed the sin of the nation. And all the people too followed his example. And said we will serve the Lord. You see 
what powerful example Josiah had over his people. He led by example. He publicly humbled himself, was truly sorry for the sins of the nation, of what his fathers had done, the wickedness they brought into the land, and the nation turned back to God. It shows you what one man can do, what one man like John Wesley can do, what one man like George Whitfield could do, what could God do through your life. And here we see the example of what God wants us to do is he began to seek the Lord. He didn't turn to the right or to the left. He began to seek the God of his father David and he began to purge the land. We have to get rid of our idols. We've got to get rid of the things that pull us away from God. We've got, got to get rid of the things that, that pull us away from Yahweh. And so he purged the land and he rebuilt the temple and the law of the Lord is found. If there is no law, the people go astray. We have to have principles. We have to have things to follow. Because they didn't have the book of the law, everybody was just doing their own thing. But praise God for the word of God. Praise God for the law of God. It was said of Queen Victoria that Britain's success was because of the Bible. Because of our, our devotion to the word of God. Now in the nation, many have turned away from the word of God. There's no law of God in many people's lives. And yet the word of God is available. God wants us to follow the statutes. He wants us to follow the ordinances. He wants us to follow the precepts. He wants us to follow the, the principles of the word of God. The Ten Commandments are there to protect us. The Ten Commandments are there to shield us, to protect our lives, to protect our families, and to protect our future. And it says there that we should not bow down to an idol. Interesting to know the Roman church have removed that out of their Bibles. But the Bible says do not bow down to an idol. Do not bow down to the gods of the nations. And it's interesting that not only did Manasseh do evil, but he did even more evil than any of the nations that went before him. Even more than them, even sacrificing his own sons in the fire. He lived a terrible life, but thank God, at the end of his life, he did repent and he did get right with the Lord. Whereas it does not say that about Ammon, Josiah's father, but Manasseh had been taken away by the Assyrians. They put a hook through his nose, they bound him with bronze chains and they put him into prison. And it says he greatly humbled himself before the Lord. He repented of what he had done, the wickedness he had brought on the nation. And friends, this shows us that we can have influence over many people. We can have influence in our nation, we can have influence in our lineage, and Josiah has left us a great example as somebody who brought reformation, who brought change, who brought blessing, and began to build up the temple of the Lord, build up the work of God, and reinstituted the worship, reinstituted the, the correct way of doing things, and God blessed the rule and the reign of Josiah as he ruled as the king in Jerusalem. Friends, what can we learn from this today? God can bring reformation through your life. Look at uh, that man, Martin Luther. He was a, a priest in the Catholic Church. He suddenly realized that we're not justified by doing good deeds. We're not justified by our works. We're justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified by faith. And he brought a reformation to Europe. He brought a reformation because of the law of God. Because as he was studying the scriptures, he began to get insight the Holy Spirit gave them understanding. We're not justified by, by doing good deeds. We're justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he brought a reformation. He brought a massive change to our world. We are justified by faith, not by works. Thank God for the Word. The Word of God brings light. It brings understanding. It brings reformation. May God renew us. May 
God revive us, may he give us the heart of Josiah. I want to finish on these few words about Josiah. And may he give us this kind of a heart so that we follow the Lord all the days of our lives. We don't get distracted to the right or to the left, but we remain focused. God wants you to be focused on him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Focusing on Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus and keeping our eyes and hearts and minds on things above, on heavenly things. The earth is going to pass away, but the man of God who does the will of God will live forever. Now listen to this. In 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 25, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. What a testimony. Here is the man who turns to the Lord with heart and mind and soul and strength. He says, I'm going to serve the Lord in my generation. What are you going to do, friend? Are you going to serve the Lord in your generation? Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to serve others? Are you going to serve the Lord? He says here, there was not a king like Josiah before or after who turned to the Lord as he did with heart and mind and soul and strength. May God give us the heart of Josiah. May God give us the passion that Josiah had where he began to seek the Lord when he was 16 years old. He began to cry out to the Lord, Lord, I need your help. And God gave him the strength. And then at the age of 20, he began to purge the land. And then later on, he began to rebuild the temple of God and he got the law of God. Friends, it's time to seek the Lord. It's time to give heart and mind and soul and strength and follow in Josiah's example, follow in the ways of the Lord. And God is going to pour grace upon your life so that each one of us can walk in the ways of the Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. May the Lord bless you. May you take the word of God with you today. May you run with it in Jesus' name and be blessed this week as you think about all the things that Josiah did. Amen. God bless you.